Welcome to Unsigned Hype episode 13. On this episode, I have the pleasure to talk to the incredible artist CD Rose from Boston, Massachusetts. Prior to her interview, I asked CD which song she would play for someone that wasn't familiar with her music yet. CD chose her song Watercolor Tears. And if you're not familiar with CD Rose's music yet, here's a snippet of that song before we jump into the interview. This is Unsigned Hype. The song you just heard is called Watercolor Tears by C.D. Rose, who's joining me from Boston today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the show. C.D., why is Watercolor Tears the song you would play for someone that has never heard your music before? I would play Watercolor Tears because I feel like melodically it's a little bit different from other music that I've done, but the storyline is the same. So it's a raw story of love, heartbreak, and, and just the the real interaction between two people that fell out of love and it correlates to the other music too because it's like i write from the heart in in every song that i make this is your newest release um that you've put out how would you say does it differ from your first song for example who was sacrilegious cd rose versus <laughs> watercolor tear cd rose so sacrilegious was like one of the first songs i ever recorded in my life and it was really like an experimental phase and I'm so happy that I went through that and just kind of like tried out all the different things that I could with my voice. And I think it differs because my, I guess like references for music and inspirations kind of shifted a little bit more from like hip hop to R&B as I grew as an artist. So I think that's another, another change. Another thing is like, I feel like when you first start writing, you're not used to to how to build a song. And so sometimes you can lean on rhymes or lean on like different kind of like ways of making music that when you branch out, find yourself as an artist and a songwriter, you're like, I don't need to rely on rhymes. I can kind of like tell my story just just through lyrics, even if it's more like poetry. Tell me a little bit more about about Sacrilegious, actually, your first song that you've, that you've put out. Um, was that also the first song that you wrote? Yeah, well, not necessarily the first one I wrote because I've been writing probably since I was like 16. And the story surrounding songwriting kind of like, it actually starts with basketball, which is like a little bit different. But I was playing basketball for years and I was going to go to college and, you know, really kind of do that. And then I ended up breaking my arm. And not that it all fell apart because I still played my first year of college, but like, after you, you know, when you like hit your funny bone on something and it hurts a little bit, that's what I like completely shattered. So after that, it was kind of like, you know, I always loved music and I had played guitar a little bit in this like rock band that we had in elementary school, which was like a requirement. You had to do it. Um, and so I was used to the the music and, and getting back into it. I actually picked up an old acoustic guitar 
and used like the cast was still on my arm, but I was just like playing a couple chords. Yeah. And that was the first song I wrote that day. And so you're be out of boredom or because you wanted to try something new or you were excited to see what you could do as a musician or what was what's the motivation behind writing a first song i feel like you know when you're when you've been through so i had a sir i had like five surgeries on my arm and there's so much time that goes into just like the healing and i was just like part of it was i guess i was bored I had friends coming over and then leaving. And in the in-between time, I was like, I have to do something. I have so many stories of my life that I want to share. And it kind of started as poetry, actually. Like I would just like journal and write, turn those into poems. And then from there, it was like, I know how to play guitar. Let's try like strumming a couple chords, writing some things down. And the I guess the inspiration was just like a way to heal like physical pain and then also just like you know there's like stories in my life that I wanted to tell and and grow with so that was the inspiration I th that's really interesting so because so one thought I just that just popped up in my mind was so you know how sometimes we when we write letters to someone and we start writing and then we like scratch everything we throw it out and we start again is that a similar process when you write your first song like do you Are you very like aware of what you're putting down? Or are you just like free flowing and just writing whatever comes up to mind and then you're happy with it? Or how does that work? It's a little bit of both. I think like when I first started, I was just writing on paper, like pen and paper. And over time, I've definitely like used notes and different like apps and stuff to write. But when I first started writing, it was like literally just like free writing on a piece of paper and coming up with just just ideas of I would think about like a specific theme or something that I wanted to write about and something that helped me when I first started writing was thinking about questions that like inspired me so it could be anything from like what what color of the room are you in like is it a blue room okay does that make you think of like I don't know the ocean heartbreak like what what kind of drives your mind with that And so I would come up with these questions and scenarios, some were real, some were like ideas that I had made up. And I would just write about them and get all the ideas out that I could. And when do you know that you've, when is the moment you know that you've written the song now? Like when does this turn into a song? For me, I think it's when the story is told. And then also when the song has a really strong hook that like, grabs the audience in but also kind of like grabs me in too so having a really strong hook and like the I guess like fundamental ideas of what the song is about but I think overall the answer is like when the story is told like front to back yeah but there's so many other so I, I, I totally agree with you um it, the song needs to have a have a great story but how do you where do you take it from there so you've written the song This is the first song you're writing. You're thinking about releasing it. Can you take me a little bit more through that process of like, it's on paper now. Like, What do you do next? Yeah. Like, how, how does that whole process until it's released come about? I mean, with that first song, so I was like 16 or 17 and I didn't release my first song until I was 21. So I took like years in between of just like, I didn't know if I wanted to actually put music out. I was really just doing it for myself. and and like 
kind of hidden almost like I didn't share it a lot and then once people and like friends and family started realizing oh she writes and sings what are you going to do with that and I was like uh I'm kind of shy I don't know like do I want to put stuff out do I want to actually be an artist and it was like this calling that I felt like made me so just so happy and and the way that I want to live my life even though it is hard and like it comes with a lot but it's all that I can see doing and I think when you don't have that like automatic plan B it's like this is what you want to do and the more that you can like drive that so to answer your question there was a lot of time in between and then at 21 I met my manager I met my engineer and producer and we just built a sound together and from there I was like, this is the type of music I want to release. Even though it was kind of like the sacrilegious first couple of songs, Body, Roulette, all of those really, you know, just got me into recording and what the studio sessions are like and, and how to mentally prepare for the industry, all those different things. So mm, you've released sacrilegious before you've met your manager and your your producer team, did that Did I get that right? That was after. Yeah, I released it after. That was after. So did they kind of push you also to release that first song? Yeah, I think it was like a, a group effort. We were all like, you know, this is what we want. They saw a lot in me. And I was just like, you know, appreciate the love. Because like when you first start, you have your friends and family who support you if they do, you know. And then having, like building a team was something so important that that allowed me to feel like, I can release this song and it might not go great, but I still have a team and like people who care and I care too. So would you say that the, the decision on releasing that first song was more based on the confidence that other people had rather than you, your own confidence? Because it sounds to me like they were like some external sources were also giving you that push to finally release something that is, that is pretty intimate, actually, like a first song is something that is very intimate and you sharing yeah. it with the world is can be quite nerve-wracking so i'm wondering what like what gave you that final push to to do it i think that there's always been this drive in me that's like do it even though i i was shy i was kind of like timid i didn't want to 100% put something out but it's like i have this trait i don't know where it came from but it's like this snap it's like you just do it and it kind of goes back to like Before I had my team, I booked my first show myself before I had put any music out. And I think it, it came from there. And I, I still like, thank God for the people that heard a demo and were like, okay, let's get her on stage. But it's like, you have to have that core belief to do anything in this industry. You can't rely on anybody else. And that's something else that I definitely realized on the journey. Yeah. Can you can you tell me a little bit about that? Because you just mentioned that your first show that you've booked yourself. Um, yeah. Was that the purple Earth, the purple Earth theory? Was that was that the no, first one? It was that was the second actually. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. that was the second show. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, that was a cool show. I really like that one. Um, the first show was at Middle East upstairs in Cambridge. And it's like this small venue. They have upstairs and downstairs, and they have another venue called Sonia, which is actually where the Purple Earth Theory was. Um, but I started at the upstairs location. It's like the super intimate one. I think if it's like maybe like 100, maybe less. 
And what I ended up doing was I just reached out to the guy that booked the the stage at Middle East and I sent him a demo that I had made, just like voice memo type things, like acoustic guitar, stuff like that. And he liked it. And then he was like, okay, I have two shows coming up. Which slot do you want to fill? And this was back, I think this was like 2019, like beginning of 2019. And so I just looked up the the headlining artists and I found this one. It was like this guy named Oscar. I forget his last name, but he was this artist from the UK, I believe. And I was like, this, this sounds good. And then I packed the place out with my friends and just had a good time. And that was kind of how the first show went, but I, I was nervous. It was wild. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I mean, releasing your first song is one thing, but then standing on a stage in front of complete strangers who you don't know how they're going to react to your music um, is pretty crazy. How how do you how do you get ready for like a first performance like that? Well, looking back, there's a lot of things I should have done, like warmed up my voice, but instead I went to like a restaurant and just ate a hamburger and I was like <laughs> that's literally like how how it happened and I was so nervous I think the adrenaline was like taking over so much that I was just like you know what let me get like a good meal in and I could barely finish the burger and then I went back to the the venue and had a little drink and then I went on stage and that's kind of how it went and I think just like in my mind I was kind of like replaying the scenario of this is going to go good like you have to have faith this will be okay no matter what type thing and I had two original songs or three original songs and like four covers that I was doing and I think I DJed myself which is a whole yeah. other thing yeah do you remember the first reaction that people had to your music when you started performing is that is there some is there some like are there some core memories that you remember from that first performance that you've noticed in particular yeah yeah i think it was like i i noticed the audience's eyes and how like glued they were and that meant so much because i you know you have to have the confidence but everyone has like insecurities and different things like that and i was not 100% sure if this was going to sound good if my originals were even any good and just like seeing their eyes and their like them smiling back at me and like kind of like nodding and banging their heads that was really really helpful to be like wow yeah. i can i can actually do this Exactly. 
This was C.D. Rose's song, Sacrilegious, and now back to the interview. Performing live is something that you've that you've been doing pretty regularly, I would say. Uh, I was pretty pretty amazed to to see that you've actually performed in Brazil, which is not super common for for artists that are U.S. based that have very recently started off their career. I mean, you've only yeah. been doing this for a few years, and uh, you know you've you've done so much already. But performing in Brazil. Must have been a pretty, pretty crazy thing, right? Completely different culture, you know, different, yeah. different, different music scene, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. How was that for you? It was incredible. Like the love that is there, and just like the the community of people that like truly, truly care. And I'm not saying people don't care here, but it's just very, it's a different type of love. And I think going out there, it was like definitely eye-opening in the way that like how people can embrace you and how they can embrace your music like there was this one guy in the front row who was singing literally all the lyrics to my songs and he speaks portuguese and like to me that meant the world especially like i i really i started pretty recently and and having that type of reaction just i don't know it definitely makes you feel like okay, other people are really listening and they understand your message in a way that I didn't think was was possible. Is that is that your goal with what you do, with everything that you do? Is that one of the goals that you want that you want to evoke these emotions in people? Or do you do you often think about the bigger cause of of your artistic self and what you what you produce every day as a musician? Like what kind of impact this will have on people or what What is kind of the motivation that drives you to to do all the things that you do? I think it is like the outside. I think it is the people that listen. And, you know, through the stories that I tell, my hope is that they can listen and feel like, okay, she's been through something. Maybe I've been through this. I can come out on the other end and really succeed and like move past all the stuff I've been through. So it, I think it is like, in a way, I feel like my music is a message and I'm just the the one that's carrying it. Um, and people on the outside, like a lot of people have come up to me and been like that song or that story I could relate to and I cried listening to it and it got me through a lot. Even like just random DMs of people saying that. And I feel like I'm small, you know, like I'm I'm a small artist, I'm coming up, but To be at this point and have people have those types of reactions, I just want to grow even bigger so that more people can feel the same thing. And not necessarily just about my music, but it's like it's like a human reaction to a sound and to a, a story. What is it about your sound and your story you think that that impacts people like that? People have said something about my tone. My tone comes up a lot, just like vocally. And I think story-wise, I'm not afraid to tell the truth in my song. So like, I talk about women, I talk about relationships with women, and like, being a part of the LGBTQ community and someone that really advocates for everyone in that community and outside, it's like, 
you know, if someone feels like they can't come out, if someone feels like they're trapped in a lifestyle that they don't want, my music is like, hey, this is the other side. Like you can, you can get here and make it happen for yourself, you know? So it is a bigger message. And I think there's a lot of like just raw, raw honesty in the lyrics. Yeah. And I think it's the lyrics and I still feel like there's a very clear red thread throughout everything that you've done and that you have found a very particular sound for yourself that defines you. And, um, I, I I wanted to get into into the the sound aspect of things a little bit because you've mentioned your producers also the you know the people that are behind that sound with you yeah. of course um, I think Gabe and Nero are their names um, it's mm -hmm. a producer team I think um, yeah. they produce your songs your song tsunami for example as well that that um, yes. you've I think you've said that based on that production you've really found that this is what you wanted to sound like. This is the sound that you wanted to have. This is where you said, this is me. Um, and I think that you've credited them as, as the first producers to really understand that sound. So it kind of, it dates back a little bit more to the first producers that I met in Atlanta. And they're kind of like the rock of the sound in a way. And I actually met uh, Gabe, 101 Beats and Nero about a year ago, which is like pretty recent. And, or like a year and a half ago now. Um, and we met right before I put out Tsunami. So like I made Tsunami, Nine Lives, and Godspeed all in one session. And they were the two producers, plus my producers in Atlanta that worked on that one. But just to go back a little bit more to 2019, I met um, my producer who's been there since the very beginning, Eric. And Eric is kind of like the the formation of the sound like the two of us just did a bunch of experimentation and came up with songs like fallback we made the whole uh ep take your own advice together it was like just me and him and um from there Sype came on cypress and the two of them are a part of a basically production team called uh 4km and their production and sound inspired my music so much. And like, I'm about to go to Atlanta next week and work with them, come up with like new songs for the EP. And then I guess like a year and a half ago, I met Gabe, 101 Beats and Nero, who grew the sound in a way that I didn't know that I wanted to go that way. And then I was like, I heard their first beat pack and I wrote to like all the beats that they sent me. And that's when I knew I was like, you get it. You understand the sound. And then we kind of grew it together. Can you pinpoint what elements it is you're looking for in production and how these two, or I mean, this, this constellation of producers that you've, that you've worked with managed to deliver on your expectations and your ideas of what you wanted your instrumentals to sound like? Yeah. Um, I think it really has been like a, a team effort in that way. Something that we started with with Eric was we would start from scratch and really like build the sound. So it wasn't like beat packs or creating um, sound like music on top of an, a fully made production. It was like we would come up with the bass line, we come up with the drums, we come up with the guitar, the synth, everything, and like place it all together. So I really like starting from scratch. I also like beat packs. But 
Um, I guess as far as the sound, it's almost like this nostalgic guitar riff that always like pulls me in. I'm like, yes, that's something that is really important is to have at least like some type of guitar synth sound within the music. Um, and like a, a super solid bass line, sometimes 808s, like just things that hook me when I listen to an artist um, are some things that I add into the production. We all kind of like place our our expertise in like what what type of sound we want for the song. How much back and forth is there on agreements or disagreements on what like the sound should sound like? Um, and how much do you direct this whole thing versus letting producers that have the experience and the knowledge kind of guide you? Like, where do you find that balance there? I think um, at first I was looking for direction. I was like, does this sound good? Do you think I should put this here? Like, how do I make this cohesive? And then over time, I guess I just grew as a, a songwriter and artist and I realized I can be directing the music too. Like, it can be a, a back and forth type of situation. And now it's really like we place the production around the vocals more than placing the vocals around the production. So I think it started more one way and, and came out like completely, completely different um, in a way that, that I like. So because does that mean that you record vocals first and then you put an instrumental on top of that? Um, we, we've started that way a couple of times with like samples. So sometimes I'll have Like I have a pack of basically acoustic loops that I've just played on guitar and then I've done like little voice memo hooks on top. And that's actually how Watercolor Tears came about because it started with the outro. And the outro of the song is literally just like me playing guitar in front of a TV. And two years later, Eric sampled it. And we basically like came up with the rest of the song based on the chords that I played originally. So it's different. It's like every song is a new a new life kind of like forming. So you can really do whatever you want and however you you feel that that song is best interpreted, but I really like to start from loops and then on mm -hmm. vocals and then on production. But everything starts with the writing, of course. Um you're yeah. writing down down lyrics and I know that you've you know you are obviously a songwriter and writing is very important to you and um, I I was wondering, you know, I, I always ask myself how artists can differentiate between good and bad writing. So would it be possible for you to describe how you know when your writing is good versus when your writing is not good? Or maybe when you hear a song, what makes you, by another artist, what makes you think like, that writing is nice versus I don't really like it? Can you, is there a way for you to describe that? Yeah, I think for me, what it comes down to is like word choice and word placement. So if you're using a lot of like, I don't know, like basic words, I think automatically the song is just like dulled down a little bit. What's and, a basic word? Oof, I don't know. <laughs> like if you're, okay, so if you're using the word love and you're just mm -hmm. using that word, but you're not describing it. Like, I think that's what lacks for me is when I hear a song and everything is like a word. Like, everything is basically what it is. There's no description behind it. It's just like kind of flatlined, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But 
when I hear a song and the artist is talking about like, like using analogies and synonyms and all these different artistic forms, that's what, that's what drives me in. It's like, like with Brent, Brent uses like this, this way of songwriting that inspired me so much where he's like, I'm going to talk about a scenario, but a part of it is like the experience and a part of it is me basically describing how I felt moving through that experience. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. CD Rose's song Diva and now back to the interview when you write is there something in particular that that puts you into that creative mood like I know for example you've 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 mentioned that the place that you get or you that you've produced or you've written I'm, I'm not sure which one it was your your favorite songs and was hotel rooms like what is it about hotel rooms that make you feel so inspired and make you want to produce such good music I think it's different Like when you're used to seeing the same thing every day, like when I record at at home, it's cool. It's definitely a good experience, but you're like looking out the same window, you're seeing the same furniture around you. And that's why I think it's so important for artists to like jump into new rooms and like see different things, be around different people, being in hotel rooms and things like that, especially like while traveling or like doing shows in other places. It's like, you're living another life than what you're used to. So you automatically have almost like a, a depth of understanding to, to something that you're not, that's not in your day to day. And that, I think that's when inspiration comes is when you like jump out of the mold, when you jump out of your comfort zone and you live something that isn't a part of your normal routine. So you try to incorporate that on a regular basis into your life to make sure that you keep having that, that you keep having that inspiration. I try to as as much as I can. Um, I'm definitely not a homebody. And so being out and being like just a part of the world as much as I can really influences the music that I make. And, you know, just building up in that way, I think is is really important. Yeah. Hey, something I I, I um that is a bit unrelated, but I, I still really would like to talk about because I've I found that to be very 
very interesting is is you know the the performative aspect of the music and you doing your own shows but then also being invited to to some some interesting opportunities that could potentially have an impact on your career and what I'm alluding to is the time you you've performed mm-hmm. for United Masters um mm-hmm. so United Masters uh is a music distributor founded by Steve Stout uh Steve Stout being a a pretty important figure in the music industry i would say and um so you were invited to perform at the third select con which was like a conference and you had a i think a, a digital appearance where you sang sang yeah. live on live stream and um you know with united masters being such a big platform i'm wondering if these 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 opportunities for you um as a as, a, as an artist starting starting out her career do you feel that impact of these invitations and and how do you how do you use that for yourself to bring yourself to the next level maybe yeah no i I like that question a lot because when you do get these invitations and it's like kind of like an invite into a a world of the industry that you might not have experienced yet um you know initially like being really excited and then being in the room and recording it was cool. Like you just, the, the importance of meeting, not just other artists, but like photographers, videographers, A&Rs, producers. It's like the, the industry is like, it's made up of so much, so much business within the initial music business Mm. and networking is the most important thing that you could ever do for your career. So in those rooms, the main thing that I think is important is like being yourself, number one, and then just talking to people and hearing about their experience and, and learning from them. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also, when these situations do come out, there's a lot of pressure to, to be like perfect in a situation you've never been in. But a thing that I realized is being okay to make mistakes is actually a part of the growth process. So not needing to be perfect, but needing to be honest is is how i look at the the new experiences because like let's say you go into a songwriting session you're like i need to be perfect i have to write this perfect song for this big artist you're not going to write it you're going to be so focused on perfection that you might not even be able to like record yourself so focusing on who you are and what you bring to the table versus like comparing yourself is such a huge thing that like I feel like not a lot of people talk about, but the more that you can stop comparing and the more that you can focus on what do I bring and how can I, how can I build that and how can I connect with these people as a human is like what is missing in this industry in a lot of ways. My first thought when I saw that was like, oh, that's a, that's a pretty big platform. It's a well-established business in the music industry. People see your face. People hear your voice. Does that lead anywhere, or is it just like you're there, you perform, and then afterwards, kind of, it dies down, and there's nothing coming from it? Yeah. Um, that's kind of what I was wondering. I think I think something always comes from it, especially if you go outside of your comfort zone and you talk to these people, because you know the A and R that I work with right now, I met at a pop up shop in New York, and the only reason that we met is because we were in a line and we started talking to each other. And from there, we send each other music and then, you know, it like it builds up that way and you 
become friends with these people and you make connections. I don't think it's all about like, this person is going to get me from point A to point B. There's a bridge. And that was a hard lesson that there is a bridge and you have to actually like walk across that bridge and do a lot yourself in order to make these things happen. Yeah. And I, I do want to, I do have to say as well, I, I think that you've built that bridge very well yourself also with regards to that. You know, I don't want to keep coming back to this United Masters thing, but yeah. maybe one one last, one last thing that I thought, um, that I thought of was when you have this momentum, um, I know that you dropped your song Payphone the day after that, that performance. And I was wondering yeah. how much strategy is part of that, because you know, you have this, this platform. Is that, is that how you think like using this opportunity to kind of build up your music and that's why you've kind of released the song the day after or or what was the thought behind that i think yeah when these opportunities do come about or even like you know a blog reaches out and they want to write about you or do an interview or something it's like you have all these moving pieces but you have to have the groundwork in place of like you have to think like a, a business person at the end of the day and dropping music around events in your life is, is just as important as, you know, as anything. Um, so, you know, you learn the business as you go, but definitely thinking like logistically about when, when is important to drop, how do I drop, you know, who do I reach out to, to make it happen and make it the best that it could be. And also what can I do? Cause you know, like TikTok reels, everything is huge right now. And if, if, uh, artists are blowing up that way there's there's really no excuse to not try it even if it's not your initial like desire to to do that which it's not mine but I still will because it's a dream and I want this and so you know you got to do what you got to do and, and work yeah, is work. yeah yeah for sure and I mean starting a career as an independent artist is is really really mm -hmm. difficult um yeah. do you do you do you, can you do you know in hindsight like what the what three things maybe were played a key role in moving your career forward like what is what for you were the the biggest learnings or the biggest things to to look out for when building your career as an independent artist number one you can't trust everyone that says they're going to make your career big And I think a lot of artists get caught up in that the first person that comes to them, hey, I can do this for you. Maybe they can, but you have to do it for yourself first. That's like the number one thing is the people that surround you should be people that you look up to and that you can grow with, not someone that is like a, a connect. Like it shouldn't be gimmicky. It should be real. Um And building. How, do you, how do you measure that? Sorry for interrupt, but how do you no, how do you good. know that? How do, like I know, for example, Lino Lino is your manager. Um, yeah. Also, thanks so much, Lino, for for setting this up. <laughs> He's great. I really appreciate yeah. it. Um, but like, let's take the manager as an example. Um, the mm -hmm. manager that plays such an important role in the artist's career. Uh, how do you choose that? Like, how do you know? Because you mentioned, you know, you can't trust everyone. Yeah. Do you, did you do you do you know? looking back what makes you make these decisions whether it's the right decision or not like what how do you do that um you know you can tell a lot about a person when you have like a a conversation that lasts for like months it's it's not just like hey here's this interaction that we're gonna do i'm gonna be your manager this is that no it's like it's a partnership and i think 
when you look at someone that you're going to work with, you should always look at, at it as a partnership and not like a hierarchy in terms of like, this person is up here, I'm down here, we're going to work together. And if that person agrees to do that and percentages are fair, everything is like by the books, then that's a good situation. But if someone is asking you to pay up front, that is never a good situation. And, you know, money can get tricky as an independent artist and you have to, like, you have to be a business person. You have to. Um, and, you know, like, I just got an LLC. Like, you have to look at yourself as a business. You have to get yourself a little bank account. You have to get a lawyer. Like, all these different things that that will make the the difference when you're looked at first of all like legally second of all professionally so those are really important important things to differentiate people is like are they you know are they looking in the right direction um one thing is i do unfortunately have to leave it too just because this is like another side note about me but i i teach voice and so i have i have a lesson at two um okay um Um, okay, okay, so we have two minutes left. Yes, unfortunately. Okay, okay. Um, all right. Um, re- really quickly, um, what artists should I, should, I, um, should I interview next? Who are some unsigned hypes, some artists you believe deserve more attention? Okay, so Lennox Hill being one I found on Fresh Finds R&B, and he's amazing. Number two, I would say Dee Gotti. She's this incredible R&B artist who is like making a name in, in R&B and, and kind of everywhere in the industry. So those are my, my two go-to artists. What do you wish you would have known about the, the music industry prior to become a part of it, to becoming a part of it? Um, what do I wish I knew? It's, it's really hard. And you have to be okay with playing the game and... And making the necessary steps for you, you have to put yourself first in this industry. And I mean, you know, take take account for the other artists that are that are doing it. So two things: put yourself first and build a community. Those are the two things that I wish that I had known at the initial point of starting that would have kind of like pivoted my career in a way that it's like, you know, there are these these people in the industry that are, you know fake or whatever but if you have a team if you have people that love you and you love them it it is about love at the end of the day and that's that's what's missing final question um and you've 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 mentioned some things already a little bit but um through all the ups and downs that you know artists go through especially when they start building their career what what do you do this all for what's what's your final goal um what's the thing you want to achieve Maybe also your next milestone, but also in general, what where do you want to go with that, with all that you're doing? Hmm. I I feel like there's a a part where I want to see myself and and not see myself with limitations. You know, I think that anything is possible in this career, and and making an impact on one person, a hundred people, a thousand people, just you know, having one person impacted by your song is huge imagine like that could change a life and you know i think at the end of the day there's a lot of things that i want to do for community and for other people that can help other like younger artists build themselves up like i i do want to own a studio one day that supports like young and upcoming artists 
and build them up with the support of like resources, like mental health resources, you know, education, different things like that, that are kind of like, we don't fully have that. There are a hundred people that are doing similar things, but I think like building a community in this industry is another one, a really, really solid foundation for community. It's almost like breaking the industry in order to, <laughs> to do that, you know? Yeah. CD, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. It was great talking to you. This was Unsigned Hype episode 13 with CD Rose. The track you're hearing right now is called Tsunami. You will find the song in the Unsigned Hype podcast playlist along with all of the songs discussed in this episode. Make sure to support CD Rose by checking out her music and following her on social media. And for your weekly Unsigned Hype, make sure to also follow us on Spotify and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes below. <laughs>